Hey foodies, welcome to the Vegan for the Culture podcast. My name is Mahalit and I am the vegan chef, cooking coach, and consultant behind Just One Gursha. Just One Gursha is where I spread love through plant-based food and culture, but this is the Vegan for the Culture podcast and I'm so excited to welcome you to episode one and to welcome you to the food revolution. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you all to the podcast and how it started on my Instagram live series, tell you a little more about Just One Gusha, and talk about why we are all hungry for a food revolution. Vegan for the Culture was actually born out of an interview series that I hosted on Just One Gusha and I'd interviewed a group of diverse vegan chefs to discuss cultural food representation, inclusivity in the industry, and how to create meaningful cultural exchange around food. My background is in political science and law, so I don't really know how to talk about food without considering its social impact, untangling toxic beliefs, and creating a space for celebrating food practices from cultures around the world. I wanted to continue the conversation we started on Vegan for the Culture onto this podcast where I'll sit down every week to discuss all things vegan food, culture, and wellness. I'll be hosting some amazing guests in the food industry who are starting their own brands, launching inspirational cookbooks, and healing people from the inside out. Our conversations are really meant to help us figure out how to transform our food culture into one that's as diverse as we are. If you want to be the first to know about every episode drop, then make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. One question you can expect in every interview I'll be doing is how does your family share food. I love this question because I feel like it tells us so much about each other and the experiences we had around something as basic as eating. So if you are listening to this right now, come on to Instagram at justwangursha, J-U-S-T-O-N-E-G-U-R-S-H-A, and tell me how your family shares food. My answer to this question is completely infused into just one gursha. Gursha is the Ethiopian practice of hand feeding someone a bite of food. It's an affectionate gesture that you offer to a friend, family member, or a loved one. Typically not a stranger, but somebody you've developed some kind of ties to. The best part of this practice is that you're initially offered just one gursha, but there's a superstition that only one gusha will actually curse the relationship between the person giving the gusha and the person getting the gusha. So that person is pretty much always coaxed into a second gusha, which undoes the curse. Just one gusha was my way of honoring this practice that I love by offering people a bite of something new, a plant-based recipe, knowledge on its cultural origins, but gusha is also reflective of 
a larger culture of how we share food in East Africa. So growing up, my parents really immersed my brother and I in Ethiopian culture at home. We spoke Amharic instead of English, and we spent our weekends at community functions or celebrations. And the food in the house, you guessed it, was mostly Ethiopian food. To me, Gursha is a larger symbol for how freely we share our food and our culture. If you've ever been to an Ethiopian person's house, I'm certain you've left with your pant button feeling like it was about to pop off because you were so full, especially if you're non-Ethiopian and no one warned you about the hospitality. My favorite part is that this generosity doesn't change with wealth. In Addis Ababa, I've given food to a homeless person on more than one occasion, only to see them walk to the other homeless person on the block and share that meal together. Imagine being homeless and finding someone to share your only meal with. It really shows you how we believe that all of our food is better when it's shared. It's kind of a symbol for life too. Always better when shared. So in the spirit of continuing to share delicious vegan recipes, continuing to share whatever spice wisdom and cultural food wisdom has inspired my cooking, I want to continue to create a different space to share with this Vegan for the Culture podcast. So why do we even need a food revolution? You see, the thing that no one wants to talk about in the middle of this pandemic, as the United States has suffered greatly from the impact, is that before the virus ever came, we were the sickest, fattest, and most over-medicated country in the world. We were a perfect breeding ground because we developed a food culture where we all forgot how to take care of our body's needs, how to feed each other, how to create community through this daily practice instead of being so passive and mindless and uninterested in where our food comes from. Growing up in the Western world, you know that our culture has also been plagued by things like diets, crash diets, misrepresentation of food and what is healthy, and most importantly, a failure to celebrate the cultural origins of food. I'm first generation Ethiopian American, and I certainly didn't see my food reflected anywhere until some fancy chef thought that it was worthy of being celebrated and looked at by major food publications. If you're first generation of any culture, you might be able to relate to that story and seeing your food sterilized. I know there are cultures that have been here for hundreds and some before the United States for thousands of years, this is their ancestral land and their foods are not celebrated in the mainstream. As we see this shift now in social causes that we're talking about and opening up people's consciousness, it's the perfect time for us to redefine how we nourish ourselves. 
food is at the center of what we do and there's truly nothing more important to our existence. Many mammals spend their whole day hunting their food and ensuring that they have what they need. But in this Western capitalist world, we were told to nourish ourselves with things like productivity and earning money and chasing success and that all of it must come at the cost of taking care of our health. And that's simply not true. I think that we can collectively choose to reject those lies and accept a future where success does come with health. In fact, our health and our relationship with food fuels our success in the rest of our lives. We can also reject the lies of the patriarchy that's created gender norms around food. Men have been only glorified in cooking food if they were these aggressive, masculine, boisterous chefs on television, and that women making food is not artful, and that it's a required skill set for our gender. What's really crazy about the patriarchy is that it doesn't only hurt women or the feminine. It hurts men and the masculine too. It hurts the masculine in all of us. These lies make us believe that we have to fit into these boxes or labels. But if we all eat food, does it really make sense to create gender expectations around this daily natural activity? or to even create cultural or dietary expectations around this activity? Food is not just a discussion of cooking, dieting, or mindset. It's a whole ecosystem of practices that work together and a reflection of our self-respect and our self-love. The way we interact with our food, how we think about our food, and how we share it impacts every other part of our lives. People think food is the thing on the to-do list when it's really the thing that fuels the to-do list. As a vegan, we must admit that there have been immigrant communities from around the world with primarily plant-based diets, not to mention the indigenous dietary practices of the indigenous communities on this land that are also primarily plant-based. But all of those kinds of foods have been mocked, demonized, or sterilized for our consumption instead of embracing the beauty of them and adding them to our health regimens just as we, we would add anything else. It's been a missed opportunity and all we can do is just strive to get better together. I'm really committed to being a lifelong student in the food industry, in the social justice space, and just generally trying to lead a life where I reflect my truth. So I'm really looking forward to holding this space for us to chat and sit down together and see how we can eat in a way that allows us to feel seen and thrive from the inside out because I remember what it felt like to suffer so much around food.
You seem for my whole life. I felt like I really loved food, but sometimes it felt like food didn't love me back. At the same time, I always had this immense passion for food, cooking, and hosting people, and I loved learning as much as I could from all of the people in my life who cooked. There were so many examples. Both of my parents cooked so much. My uncles cooked, my grandmother was an amazing cook, and not to mention all of my family friends who cooked, and I got to learn from all of this talent. But by the time I was in my last year of law school, I had just so much trouble with my stomach. I'd always had a kind of sensitive stomach growing up, but by the time I got to that last year, I was so dependent on Tums and Pepto-Bismol, and, you know, I just thought to myself, this is not sustainable. And I felt really committed to making some kind of change. I just didn't know what change I needed to make to feel better. So I tried to think of when my stomach felt at peace, and all I could think of was the same eight-week period a fasting season before Ethiopian Orthodox Easter. During this time, I would adopt a vegan diet, and some interpretations allow for fish occasionally, but across the Eastern Orthodox tradition, there's some form of abstaining from meat and animal products in this, like in the period right before um, a religious celebration. Easter is not the only one. We have many holidays throughout the year where people adopt this fast, and many people eat this way every Wednesday and Friday as well, so it's already two out of seven days of the week on a non-fasting period. And really, religious practitioners of the faith, like priests and monks, are typically vegan for more than half of the year if you add up all of the holidays and the Wednesdays and Fridays. So this is the secret to why Ethiopian food has so many amazing vegan options. I mean, it's no secret that many cuisines in Africa have been vegan and plant-based forever. Um, but these religious practices, I think, have definitely stimulated more creativity in the cuisine. And there's just so many fun little secrets that people have to making vegan substitutes for things we have. So being a vegan in Ethiopia is actually a dream come true, and I love being able to find food anywhere. And if it's fasting season, all of the bakeries will have vegan options for everything too, so it's just heaven on earth. In addition to my cultural exposure, veganism was a pretty familiar practice in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I was born and raised. So my mom was actually vegetarian for most of my childhood, um, and I knew vegans like of a lot of cultural backgrounds. I knew people who were vegan like for more religious reasons, who were South Asian. I knew people who were like activist vegans, who were black or Hispanic. I I felt like I had kind of like an array of veganism to look at, so I didn't really feel like veganism looked like something I saw on TV. Um, so I felt like that 
was super liberating for me and the fasting seasons made me feel like I had the skills to adopt a vegan lifestyle because I knew how to be a vegan for eight weeks like even though I relied on the fish exception I knew I could do eight weeks and so I felt like if I could do eight weeks then I can push on to doing the whole year but one challenge was that I'm also such an adventurous foodie which did not help my sensitive stomach whatsoever. The only bucket list item I've really had since I was young was that I want to try every cuisine in the world. And I love that it's like an almost impossible mission because there's so many cuisines, even in one country sometimes, let alone one continent or the world. Um, but imagine someone with a sensitive stomach who is also going out of my way to try all these foreign and new foods like it was just a lot going on and sometimes it was absolutely incredible and I was so happy that I tried that new food and sometimes I was sick for two days so I was really playing this huge gamble with myself and my health so it was at the start of 2018 that I finally went vegan which was first for my health and I have since um, adopted the practice to other areas of my life for environmental and ethical reasons. But that first year of veganism really helped me heal my relationship with food. And it kind of freed me as a chef in the kitchen and my creativity exploded. So when I first went vegan and I was looking for recipe inspiration, I didn't really see foods that look like my veganism. I saw these pages with a lot of salads, smoothies, and bowls, which are all great, but my version of veganism looked like misid, injera, papaya salad, dal, and nopales tacos. I was eating in abundance from these cuisines around the world and I was cooking with inspiration from these cuisines that were naturally plant-based and very vegan friendly. My veganism didn't look like trying to create vegan friendly American food. And so it has been difficult to kind of watch a food industry that doesn't represent people and cultures, even cultures that are more plant-based or vegan friendly than the food culture we've developed in the US and they're not being a space for us to exchange everything that our cultural foods have to offer. So as I started to have these conversations on Just One Gusha, it really became evident that we need a home for it. So welcome. Welcome with my whole heart to the vegan for the Culture podcast. This is a space for you to think critically, to challenge your beliefs with love, and to create a form of wellness that is customized to you. There is no such thing as a food, health, or cooking expert that will give you the map to your version of wellness on a platter. I went to undergrad at the University of Chicago and something I really value from the culture there is that not only do we not know what we don't know, 
but we also don't know what we know. There is always room for us to challenge what we already believe, and it's difficult. But when we challenge those beliefs, we come into a truer version of them for ourselves. And that's why we came into this whole human experience in the first place, for us to challenge each other, to exchange and learn from what everyone has to bring to the table. The more that we are intentional, conscious, and thoughtful about our food, it will seep into the rest of our lives. If you haven't already, come and join the Just One Gursha family on Instagram at Just One Gursha. I want to hear about your family recipes, how you share food, and what inspires you in the kitchen. I am so excited for all of the amazing minds I'm going to get to interview on here and have them share their philosophies on all of these topics. Sending you all love and gurshas from Miami. I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and come connect with me on social media. All of my platforms are linked in the show notes down below. And if you want to try over 70 of my favorite vegan recipes or look into one-on-one coaching with me, you can head over to justonegursha.com. That's J-U-S-T-O-N-E-G-U-R-S-H-A.com. I'll see you next time.